0: scuderia f1 the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest formula one news follow us on twitter at scuderia f1 pod and subscribe to the show on itunes and stitcher now here are your hosts mark daly and kevin laramay Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast. that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Podcast Network. Mark Daly here welcoming you to the show this week. And again, I'm all on my own. Kevin is back preparing for his wedding that takes place just around the corner, just a week or so down the road. But we'll keep the show going here. And when he gets back, after all things wedding related, there will still be some Formula One to talk about because we are still, no, well, maybe not quite in the early days of the season. The season is well and truly underway, of course. And this weekend, we are back to racing at the French Grand Prix at Circuit Paul Ricard. And really looking forward to that one. And as always, there is plenty of news to talk about in the Formula One world. And I think, well, we'll just pick it up where we left it off last week. And there's still been plenty of. Of talk about Sebastian Vettel and the penalty that he got in Canada, and I just wanted to to talk about a couple of things that I saw from right off the very ba- uh, the very top here that I thought were kind of interesting. And I was just uh, looking through, going back some uh, notes that I made, and just even going back to the Canadian Grand Prix almost two weeks ago, and um, there there was this that I came across on uh, ESPN.co.uk, uh, just addressing Sebastian talking about uh, rumors that he's going to retire and leave Formula One at the end of. The 2019 uh, season. And I I thought that was an interesting one because he seems very resigned to things, seems very accepting of the situation. And I don't know if I really buy into the the notion that uh, Sebastian's going to walk away from Formula One at the end of this year. I think he's too big of a fan of the sport. He loves Formula One. I think he loves being at Ferrari. And why would you want to walk away from that? I mean, they've really shown hints of competitiveness over the past uh, couple of years. Uh, this year, of course, has been a, a little bit disappointing and challenging for them uh, so far. But the thing is, I mean, who would they replace Sebastian Vettel with? I mean, Charles Leclerc is still settling in at Ferrari. I mean, he's had some uh, some fantastic moments already so far this year, but it's been a little bit far and few between. And I think that's what you would probably expect. I mean, I think that uh, the, the more that the season season goes on and the more races that Charles gets under his belt in Ferrari I mean we have to remember that the guy's only in his second year in Formula One and I mean he came from Sauber now he's racing for the big boys right up at the very top and I mean there's no doubt I think that he'll figure it out but uh, if Sebastian was to walk away from Ferrari walk away from Formula One at the end of 2019 who would come back and 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 fill that uh, that role uh, for them and that's a really great great question I mean 2021 is when the driver's market is really going to open up again so I think that uh, Ferrari themselves I mean they would probably be looking at that window anyways I mean I think that's just a a natural uh, thing in any kind of sports and uh, I always remember here and I can't remember I think it was Wally Buono who was the uh, the general manager of the BC Lions uh, football club here in uh, Vancouver and he said it's it's my job to find someone that's uh, better than you just he was talking about one of his players so and that's very true I mean when you are at a top-level sport, you're always looking to improve your team, or in in this case, your driver's lineup. I mean, Sebastian, obviously, one of the best drivers in Formula One. I mean, he's a four-time world champion, so that would be a a big fill, but uh, for him to walk away right now would really, I think, leave Ferrari a little bit hanging, don't you think? But I was wondering, and I'm going to go with this, so just uh, give me a little bit of latitude here. What about Fernando Alonso? Fernando, of course, uh, just won Le Mans again just uh, this past weekend, second time in a row, won the uh, the overall championship in endurance cars. What, what's left for him to do? And he's not going to pursue a full-time drive in IndyCar in, in 2020. But of course, you have to think that now that he's uh, won Monaco twice, he's won Le Mans twice. So he's got two times the first two legs of the unofficial triple crown of uh, motorsports under his belt. So Of course, India is the only one that's uh, that that's left. But even though he walked away from Formula One, excuse me, at the end of 2018, am I the only one that feels like Fernando walked away and left something on the table? And I mean, there's a lot that uh, I think that Fernando has to own himself because there is no doubt that. Had things turned out differently, he would not be just a double world champion. As if that's something to turn your nose up at uh, and frown upon. I mean, that's still a, a wonderful achievement. But way back in two thousand and five, two thousand and six, when he won uh, those world championships, when uh, still a fairly young driver, uh, when he was at Renault, didn't we all get the feeling that that was just the start for Fernando Alonso? That he was destined to be, or really looked like he was going to be one of the all time greats of in, in Formula One, and then. Fast forward a dozen or so years, he's leaving the sport with his tail between his legs to a certain extent because the whole McLaren experiment, if you want to call it that, was... It was it was a disappointment. I mean, the guy is undoubtedly a very very talented driver even in his late 30s. I mean, he's still fast, he's still competitive. But he kind of really worked himself into that situation. We all know how it worked out with McLaren the first time, way back when uh, he was to teammates with uh, Lewis Hamilton. We know how it worked out to, at Ferrari and how he uh, broke that uh, contract and then went over to McLaren, just the unmitigated disaster it was. Uh, you know, going back to the Woking-based team with their uh, latest partnership uh, with the Honda engines, which was just absolutely uh, disastrous. But here we go now, a, a year or two later down the road, and Fernando's kind of keeping his options open. I mean, you would have to think that he would love another shot at Formula One, and you would think that he would love to get back into a really competitive team. I don't really know what the, the situation or what the uh, arrangement that he has with uh, McLaren, but you would have to think if you're Fernando and you have the opportunity to to go into uh, Ferrari, where they are at the at the moment, if that's even possible, uh, considering the way that uh, that he left the team a couple of years ago. But let's just say for a moment that it is, and then let's just say that um, Sebastian's playing his car- cards close to his chest, and he does decide to walk away and retire from Formula One at the end of 2019. Wouldn't Fernando Alonso just be one of those guys that you would probably reach out to? I mean, there isn't really too much of a risk. I mean, if you're just going to bring him in on a, on a one-year sort of deal and just see where it goes. I mean, uh, on, on Fernando's side, you have to think that Ferrari's a little bit better off than when he left them several years ago now at the end of 2014. But the, the, the Ferrari has steadily been going forward. Last year, of course, they had a legitimate shot to win the World Championship, both in the Constructors' and the and the, and the Drivers' Championship. Obviously, it uh, turned out uh, to be another for Mercedes, but definitely up until at least halfway, maybe even two-thirds of the way through the season. I, I would have to say that uh, it was a championship that, uh, that got away from them. I think that they were legitimate con- con- uh, contenders. And if they can get the, the car, well, maybe not this year. 2019 is uh, well and truly underway. But let's just say next year, they're, they're able to get back to the level where they were, say, in the second half of 2017, in 2018. They're they're closer to Mercedes. They, they find a way how to keep, uh, you know, the, the, the temperature and the, the the tires. We all know that they have the, the the best, most powerful engine in Formula One. You'd have to think if you're Fernando, if that, uh, if that opportunity comes up, you're just going to jump at it. But who knows? That, uh, like, like I say, is a bit of speculation mostly on um, my part but uh, I thought it was interesting the quote that uh, Vettel said and um, I'll just read it here verbatim Uh, quote I never said anything like that so I don't know where it has come from I think I can stop whenever I want and the team can probably kick me out whenever they want but I am very happy with the team and I hope the team is happy with myself and well, that is the sixty-four thousand dollar question. Um, obviously, I think that uh, Sebastian has to realize that he is in a in a good situation at Ferrari, even though it's been frustrating. I, I think we all expected them to be uh, more competitive uh, this year, It'll be a lot closer to um, uh, Mercedes, and they've uh, regressed a little bit. Uh, they they've slipped a, a couple of years back in the. Uh, Uh, I wouldn't say not, not terms of technology, but we're back to like a situation in Formula One where it's basically a question, who's going to win the world championship? Is it not going to be a Mercedes or Ferrari or a Red Bull driver? But basically, the way it's looking at right now for 2019 is going to be which... Uh, Mercedes driver is going to win the world championship. So when I say that uh, the situation has slipped a little bit, it's more of a return to like the Hamilton, Rossberg era of uh, Mercedes and Formula One. It was basically those two winning every other weekend. And it was going to be down to, to one of those guys winning the world championship at the uh, end of the year. And so, like I say, from that point of view, it's disappointing from uh, Ferrari if they could only find a way how to get the temperature into the tires on the car. And we've seen hints of it. I mean, the, the car has been good at times just not good enough often enough and that has been the 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 big problem I mean it it looked like they were all set for a one to a Bahrain and obviously it didn't turn out that way and I I thought that um, Sebastian Vettel looked really good in Canada a couple of weeks ago and it was just a a crying shame the way that 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 whole incident uh, played out and he ended up getting that five second uh, time penalty added um, to his uh, his race time, which of course dropped him from first to second. And uh, that, that was just a, a real shame. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the moment because there's still fallout coming from that. And uh, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, talk about that uh, a little bit. So we will go there. But who knows? Let, let, let's just say uh, if Vettel decides to retire at the end of the year, and certainly I, I hope he doesn't. I'd like to see him finish out his, uh, his contract at uh, Ferrari for this year and next year. And Hopefully he sticks around in Formula One for a little bit uh, longer than that. Uh, Honestly, I like uh, Sebastian Vettel and uh, I I did enjoy the scrap that he was having with Lewis in Montreal. And my my big beef is not so much that Sebastian Vettel was given the five second time penalty. It's just the whole circumstances around it. And uh, I would really like to see uh, the the way that Formula One is structured is to to let these guys race a little bit more because that's what they're saying a couple of years ago was that when it comes to these uh, decisions With the stewards, that they're going to be a little bit more lenient and uh, maybe let these things and quote uh, a racing incident or whatever you want to call it slide by and maybe go unpunished or maybe not punished as often uh, as maybe we'd seen in the past. And and that's where I think the real shame is, is that I think that uh, it was it was a really good scrap. I mean, it was really down to those two guys. I mean, Lewis hadn't really made an attempt to try and get to Sebastian Vettel, but I mean, they were really. I think about uh, 10 or 12 seconds uh, ahead of Charles Leclerc in third place. And it was obvious that whatever happened, it was going to be either Vettel or Hamilton that was going to win that race. And I think that I speak not only for myself, but also probably many for you that saying that I don't really mind if uh, Hamilton wins that race. I don't really mind if uh, Vettel wins that race in Canada. I just like to see it happen for something that happened on the track, a clean overtake, or say, even if Vettel makes that mistake and Hamilton passes him cleanly, I'm okay with that. It's just the way that that, that he's handed the penalty and then um, he crosses the line first and then Hamilton wins by virtue of that uh, that time penalty being applied, I think really robbed the fans of, uh, of something. And uh, that will be coming up for, for more discussion because Ferrari has decided to, well, they, they dropped the, their their appeal uh, after the um, the end of the race. And uh, what they've done instead is that they've uh, asked for a review, which they can do based because it's just again the way that the the, the rules and everything that uh, are structured uh, that um, they've, they've they've instead gone to the FIA to review the decision to uh, to, to punish metal for what they called like an unsafe uh, return to the uh, to the tracks and it, it's basically I mean it's, it's more of a t- it's just the way the rules are structured. It's kind of like six of one, half dozen of the other. But uh, there is a way that uh, that if they believe that they have new, what they call new and relevant uh, material, they can uh, bring that forward and uh, request it uh, as, as part of the review uh, process. So we'll, we'll wait and see whether or not uh, that um, punishment uh, gets overturned or whether or not uh, it stands. And then uh, we, we just uh, keep the, um, the, the, the classification as it uh, was in Canada with the uh, Sebastian Vettel in second, Lewis Hamilton first, and Charles Leclerc in third position. So, watch the space. We'll we'll definitely have to see how this one uh, shakes uh, shakes up. And um, apparently, the FIA will probably convene the stewards at some point in the uh, race weekend uh, at the French Grand Prix. And uh, the, the well, first of all, I guess the big decision that uh, that they'll come to is whether or not the new uh, evidence that uh, that that Ferrari is uh, bringing forward is it going to be uh, relevant? Is it going to be something that's admissible? Is it going to be something that they think is even worthwhile reviewing? And, uh, well, well, we'll wait and see, but uh, apparently they do have new data. They've got GPS data and telemetry and uh, just uh, Vettel's own personal testimony, which is something that uh, they believe should have been held, or uh, uh, should have been uh, taken into account uh, closer to the uh, the, the time we're back at uh, the, the Canadian Grand Prix, rather than just uh, unilaterally handing out the decision before the uh, the, the race was over and uh, obviously the controversy is still raging on and on. Anyways, I'm just going to take a, a quick break here for a word from our sponsors. Don't go away. We'll be back in just one moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive All right, welcome back to the podcast. It's always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Podcast Network. And as I was just talking about before we went into the break, um, the uh, the appeal or the review, the appeal has been dropped uh, for Sebastian Vettel by Ferrari, but the uh, the, the review, um, they are going to go ahead with it. Like I was saying, and uh, basically, uh, I, I was just uh, reading over some of my uh, my, my notes here, and uh, they uh, <laughs> they that's what they're going to do. They're going to pull out. Uh, some uh, GPS uh, evidence, uh, Vettel's uh, Hamilton, uh, sorry, uh, Vettel's uh, testimony on the whole, the whole fact there, and uh, we'll wait and see uh, whether they, they think it's uh, there's something to it. Of course, I think the the, the big problem is is not so much that uh, it was uh, Vettel looked like he was about to lose the rear of the car when he was going into that uh, little chicane, that little corner turn four at Circuit uh, Villeneuve, but uh, he obviously he was about to lose it, went over the grass. It's not how for me how he re-entered, but there was a second little wiggle. And I think that's where the the stewards really focused on. So it'll be interesting to see how Ferrari try and spin that and uh, whether or not uh, they are successful in in getting that uh, uh, review through to the stewards and whether or not uh, it'll actually hold any water and uh, see if um, they can get that overturned. Anyways, moving along here, there's still plenty of things to talk about. Although I guess there isn't, because looking at my notes, <laughs> that the next item I have is uh, entitled uh, "Formula One Can't Move On from Vettel a Penalty," and that uh, comes from the mouth of uh, Cyril Abitaboul, who is the the team principal of uh, Renault. And it's really, of course, it's uh, really sparked a, a big debate. And um, uh, Abitaboul uh, says that uh, that they can't forget the controversy surrounding the whole incident uh, of Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton at the Canadian. Grand Prix, uh, if they decide and accept that the rules of Formula One must indeed change, and of course this is uh, one of the big uh, topics at the moment. the The Concord Agreement, of course, ends at the end of 2020, and this has been an ongoing saga. The uh, the, we're we're no closer now uh, to finding out what the post 2020 Formula One rules, what the what the landscape is going to look like. It it seems every once in a while that uh, it looks like that something's going to happen right now it seems it's going to be pushed back that uh, we might uh, have some sort of announcement in October we'll talk a little bit uh, more about that a little bit uh, later on in the show uh, but yeah uh I, I think that uh, Abitbol makes uh, some uh, some good points, and he thinks that Formula One has a habit of uh, moving on from contr- uh, controversies without uh, discussing the, the the potential for improving the rules. And, uh, and And he thinks that it might be a good idea to address that, especially when it comes to driving standards, especially at the moment. If it was maybe something with uh, that, that went on between I don't know, for example, Antonio Giovinazzi and Lance Stroll, or Sergio Perez, you know, somebody that's uh, in, in the middle of the pack, fighting it out, that's not really going to get much... Uh, much coverage. I mean, we might see it during the race, and uh, and we see the replays, and uh, we will see the, uh, the the announcement that uh, one of the others been given a five second uh, uh, um, a time penalty for unsafe reentry to the track, and we all may oh well yeah I can see well that's uh, th- that's fine, and we may not really think about the deeper implications of uh, of such an incident, but when it comes to two of the biggest names on the grid uh, fighting it out for uh, for a race win, uh, I think that. Uh, uh, like like Abita Bull says, this is a, a good time to uh, discuss about it. And like I was saying earlier in the show before the break, I would just like to see uh, a Formula One where where drivers are able to to, to fight and able to push and. And try and, and and really fight it out, and and, and try and make those uh, th- those maneuvers, and try and make those passing attempts, especially when it comes to a, a race lead. I am not by any means advocating reckless or dangerous uh, behavior. <laughs> There's plenty of guys that we can use as examples, both current and Formula uh, former Formula One drivers. But the point is that. I think when it comes to a couple of guys like Lewis Hamilton and uh, and and uh, and, and uh, Sebastian Vettel, that when they're scrapping it out, you got to think that common sense is going to prevail. Of course, there's going to be those heat, heat of the moment uh, times like we saw a couple of years ago in Baku when uh, Sebastian lost it uh, behind the, uh, the, the safety car and decided to go and try and push Lewis off of the track when he thought that uh, he'd been brake tested and was really upset about that. that that's completely a different situation I think that when it comes down to a straight fight on the track I think both of those guys are good enough I think they're smart enough I think they're respectable or respect uh, uh, respectable enough that they will know when you know wh- where the line is and I, I don't think that uh, that either of them is a particularly dirty driver <laughs> I, I think that they're gonna use every single advantage uh, and every bit of uh, inch a track that they can use to defend a, a position if they are under attack from, uh, from a car behind them, but that's the thing that we want to watch we want to see drivers scrapping it out I mean how exciting is it to, to, to watch a guy carving through his his way through the field or or make a, a wonderful pass to, to take the lead and win the race and we, we know that there are got there guys out there in Formula one that can do that I mean um, Max Verstappen is a guy that we've seen make some incredible passes in some very unorthodox places around circuits over the years and I think that should be encouraged in Formula one and I would like to see a situation situation where they are able to to move forward from this and rather the the mindset be you know, I can make a pass here because I think I can get this guy and and I can take the lead of the race rather than, well, if I pass this guy and it doesn't come off, am I going to get uh, harshly penalized for it or, or whatever the case may be? I think that when it comes to the point where the rule book is maybe a little bit too far in uh, the forefront of the thought process, I think that takes something away from the sport. I think that it should always come down to the the, the fight that's on the track. And, and, and like I say, as long as As it's a safe overtake, I think um, that that's basically what it comes down to, and uh, as long as you know you're not trading too much paint to use that phrase or really muscling your way through and, or you're exceeding the track limits or somehow unfairly gaining that position you know just let the guys fight and take it from there and i think that's uh, the the way that uh, that formula 1 should really try and approach that uh, moving forward but just uh, sticking a little bit now with uh, with Ferrari and also uh, Ducati from uh, Moto GP and uh, it's interesting but apparently they may drop the mission winnow uh, logos, uh for the the rest of the the, the season, and uh, that's something that they've had. Uh, that's it's. Uh, I guess the. I guess the correct way for their title sponsor and partner, Philip Morris, the tobacco company. Uh, obviously, you can't go and, <laughs> and advertise uh, cigarettes or tobacco products anymore. Uh, I mean, years gone by, I mean, there was always cigarette and tobacco advertising in Formula One and Marlboro, which is, a, uh, I guess, a Philip Morris uh, brand so that was on Ferrari for a while. I mean, way back in the 80s, they sponsored uh, McLaren, uh, Benson & Hedges, Camels, a lot of these uh, cigarette brands. We're in Formula One. Obviously, not a good idea to advertise uh, that in this day and age, but uh, it has caused a little bit of controversy this year. They uh, actually had to drop that uh, logo at the season opener. Ferrari did. And there are... um Similar regulations in Canada and France, and uh, Ducati had to do the same thing for the Moto uh, GP race uh, recently at uh, Le Mans. So maybe they'll uh, do the just drop it for the end the rest of the year. You know, honestly, I accept that uh, sponsorship is a part of Formula One. I mean, you can't go into a sport like that without having uh, corporate support because I mean it's big, 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 big money. <laughs> just to be uh, trying to overstate that a little bit. And it's just, uh, I I guess it's unfortunate, but I mean, way back in the day, I mean, cigarettes were just a normal thing and people just smoked, obviously, over time, it's uh, become well known just how dangerous and how bad they are for your health. So obviously... Um, promoting them is, is not the best thing and, um, uh, making it look glamorous is, uh, is not a, a good look for, for Formula One or anywhere else. So you, you can understand that, but it would be nice. And I know this is sort of a, I guess, wishful thinking, uh, or romantic notion on my behalf, but if you go back and look at the cars from like the pre- early 1970s or late 1960s, whenever it was that uh, that sponsorship uh, first came in. I mean, the cars just look beautiful. I mean, they, the, the, the dark British racing green for cars like Lotus or just the scarlet red of the Ferraris or just the silver of the Mercedes or any other team that was in Formula One. They just looked nicer. They just looked sleeker. They look cleaner. I mean, you just saw the line of the car. And I mean, nowadays, I mean, it's in all uh, forms of motorsport, of course, and it's not just Formula One, but uh, the, the car certainly, I think, in, from my point of view, at, at any rate, I think they look a lot nicer without it. But uh, who knows? I mean, if they keep it, whatever. <laughs> it's just another one of those things. But let's talk now a little bit uh, about uh, the, uh, the the French Grand Prix. And uh, Ferrari said that they will have what they call small evolutions in place for the French uh, Grand Prix. And uh, it's, it is... It is what it is, right? I mean, the the big thing is, even though that the Ferrari does reportedly have the most powerful engine in Formula One, Lewis Hamilton was talking about as well, saying that they have a power mode available that Mercedes just doesn't have... The car and the the high downforce approach that they have to the SF ninety for this year just isn't working the way that they planned out, and it's just too difficult to get the uh, the, the tires up to that that proper uh, temperature range that where the, where the tires really work, and and, and that's the thing. And the season is really, uh, well, I mean it's it's w- well and truly, uh, I think. Beyond Ferrari at the moment, it would be too much to expect that the the machine that uh, that Mercedes is uh, that they would all of a sudden fall victim, if you will, to all this rotten, terrible, bad luck that would really knock them off the top of the well, especially constructors championship. I mean, if you look at the constructors at the moment. Mercedes is miles ahead. They have 295 points in the Constructors at the moment. That's over 100 points ahead of a Ferrari who are in second with 172. So, I mean, the Constructors is, I wouldn't say a foregone conclusion, but it basically is. I mean, unless something completely... Unexpected and drastic happens to Mercedes this year. It's going to be a, another constructors' championship for them. And then you look at the at the at the drivers' championship. I mean, it's it's a little bit more closer. Obviously, I mean, you have Lewis and Hamilton on top with 162 points. Bottas behind with uh, 133 points, and Vettel still sort of kind of has a shout in the world championship. I mean, he's currently third with 100 points and I, I mean it would take a lot to to catch uh, even valtteri bottas i mean he's 33 points behind but hey i mean if uh, bottas doesn't finish in in france this weekend and uh, and and uh, vettel wins that one then all of a sudden he's only uh well what would that would be uh 8 points behind him in the world championship so it could happen i mean lewis hamilton 62 points ahead of uh, sebastian vettel in third place in the in in the world championship at the moment that's uh that's a big stretch i mean even if you go back to 2016 the year that nico rosberg won his one and only world championship that was a year that lewis had a a bit of a rough start to the season after about four or five races i think it was uh rosberg had something in the order i think it was like a 42 or 43 point lead and it really seemed at that point that uh that that I wouldn't say that uh, four or five races into the year is going to be a foregone conclusion, but certainly things looked very favorable for Nico Rosberg at that point. And, and that year, I mean, Lewis did slowly but surely claw his way back into the uh, into the title fight. And uh, by the time uh, we got into the last uh, several races down the stretch there, Lewis was really fighting for it and was uh, coming close. The The, the big uh, difference then was uh, when his engine blew, when the big end lent, uh, let go in, in, in Malaysia and that really was the the, the moment i think that uh, that hamilton's uh, championship really took a, a a real big hit i know that Basically, from that that point, the last four or five races, Rosberg was basically just managing it and just uh, really going the conservative route, just getting the points that he needed uh, without really having to go out there. He knew that uh, Lewis would have to go out and win every race, but if he just uh, finished second and just got the points that he needed, then he would be okay. And Of, uh, of course, it came down to a, a pretty exciting finale in uh, Abu Dhabi, but... Uh, 43 points is one thing after a couple of races uh, to, to really uh, fight back. And of course, that was between two guys in a Mercedes. It seems that, uh, you know, closing and then uh, closing a 62 point gap and then getting in front of a guy in a Mercedes uh, by a guy in a Ferrari seems, well, let's just call it like it is. It's unrealistic at this point in time, but who knows? Uh, certainly, I think that it would be. It would make the season, I think, a little bit more interesting if um, uh, Ferrari was able to get uh, more competitive, live up to some of the expectations, maybe live up to to some of the hype that they had uh, in winter testing and were able to to challenge for some uh, race uh, victories, hopefully, starting this weekend. I mean, like I say, a couple of weeks ago in Canada, they looked uh, really, really good. But again, when you go back and look at the the, the first seven races of the year, it's all Bottas, Hamilton, Hamilton, Bottas, Hamilton. Hamilton, Hamilton, Hamilton. So it would certainly be nice to see a different name in there at some point. Anyways, time again for another real uh, quick break here on the program. Don't go away. When we come back on the other side, we're going to keep going, talking about uh, McLaren. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the 2021 rules, and we're going to talk about Gunther Steiner getting annoyed and all sorts of things. So anyways, don't go away. We'll be right back after this very short uh, break to hear a word from our sponsors. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And um, as we get back into it, we start looking towards the French Grand Prix again this weekend. Just some follow-up from the Canadian Grand Prix. And uh, McLaren has uh, revealed the cause of that really weird incident Lando Norris had at, uh, at the Canadian Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago. And uh, if, for those of you that uh, saw the race will remember uh, that, uh, that Lando uh, came down the pit straight with a, a fire and his right rear tire kind of hanging at a very strange Angle and uh, w- when I saw that, I thought, uh, and I think I'm sure a lot of people did that uh, that uh, Lando just got it wrong going through that chicane at the end of the very long uh, straightaway at the, the the back of the uh, of the circuit there, coming into the start finish, and it tagged the wall of champions. Uh, anyways, uh, when he did stop on the side of the track, there was a big fire. So, anyways, uh, the what uh, McLaren has revealed is that uh, there was a fire that was just started uh, and it was all kicked off by uh, Um, overheating brakes, and that basically uh, led to a chain reaction that uh, started a fire and uh, led to a collapse of the suspension at the, the, the rear of the car. And basically... When the tire or sorry when the the, the the brakes overheated at the b- back of the car like that it was in an area that doesn't get much uh, airflow so obviously when the uh, it, it was a hot day in Montreal the, the, the it's a circuit that's tough on brakes anyways and uh, it just uh, was uh, almost a perfect storm and it was uh, like I say it was a weird one and uh, I I really thought it was a little bit ironic in a way that even though I think a lot of us thought that he tagged the wall of champions and it's been a while since we've actually seen a car fall victim to the wall of champions and uh, actually without going back and and, and really go looking into it I can't even remember off the top of my head who, who was one of the last uh, notable drivers at any rate uh, to uh, be forced out of uh <laughs> out of the Canadian Grand Prix but anyways that's what it is uh, moving ahead now to the next item of news. Honda is going to introduce an upgraded engine for the French Grand Prix. So three cars will be getting that. there will be the, the two Red Bulls of Max Verstappen and Pierre Gasly. And uh, Danny Kvyat at Toro Rosso is going to get the latest spec as well, but he's going to have to incur a five grade, uh, grid place uh, penalty uh, because of that. So, well, that is what it is. Anyhow, uh, that's uh, that's just, uh, I guess, part of the business, but uh, maybe uh, Kvyat won't mind it uh, so much if he gets the, the, Latest in, engine in his car, and uh, it's Honda's first upgrade of the season. Um, that, uh, or sorry, their first upgrade of the season came uh, several weeks ago at as uh, Azerbaijan, and that was uh, centered on uh, reliability. And uh, this uh, latest upgrade uh, centers more around the combustion engine and the and the turbocharger. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what effect this new upgraded Honda engine has in the cars for the Red Bulls and the Torosos. And I think that uh, that uh, that Red Bull at least I think has to be uh, quite happy with uh, the the way uh, the season has turned out uh, so far. I think that if you look at the results that they have uh, and where the car is in terms of uh, performance, I would say that it's uh, about the same, maybe marginally ahead of uh, where they were this time last year with the, the, the Renault in the back of the car. And I know maybe that doesn't sound like a really... Big praise to say, well, they're they're exactly the same where they were last year. But I think any time that uh, that you switch engine manufacturers uh, like they did, and it was a, it was a big risk for them. But uh, you know, having said that, uh, with all the problems that uh, that Honda had, had when they were th- with McLaren, I think that I think it's 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 a very very promising start for them. And uh, that was Honda's goal right from the very beginning was to keep uh, Red Bull. Uh, Uh, in the the position that they were with uh, in the past uh, couple of years uh, with Renault. I mean, I know they want to be winning more races. They want to be challenging for world championships and things like that. And and obviously uh, Red Bull and Christian Horner and Max Verstappen and any drivers for Red Bull would uh, feel the same way. But certainly I think that to be on a level par where uh, this year from compared to where you came from, I think is a very, very good start. So uh, I know that they've uh, said that they hope to be targeting wins by the middle of this uh, this season, and that seems like a, a pretty lofty ambition, but who knows? I mean, uh, they, they certainly, I think, have... Uh they, they've got a good partnership going. And I think uh, one of the big uh, big differences is that they really tried to design a car that uh, really accommodated the, uh, the, the the Honda engine, that there was a real synergy and, and, and symmetry to the design rather than uh, McLaren designed a car and, and Honda designed an engine and it didn't necessarily go together. It didn't really mesh or pair well, whatever you want to call it, uh, that that's, uh, may have been more of a hindrance uh, and uh, led to some of the or contributed to some of the issues obviously there were a lot of power issues and reliability issues just on the Honda side but certainly um, Honda and uh, and Red Bull seem to have a bit of a tighter uh, more uh, interactive and uh, thoughtful working relationship uh, between the two of them so certainly watching where it goes this year and uh, whether or not they can uh, challenge for race uh, victories I mean being competitive on one of these tracks, say like uh, Monaco, is one thing. And I mean, it was certainly it was exciting to see Max trying to uh, pass uh, Lewis when he was uh, struggling with those uh, blistering tires in the front. And I mean, it was good fun to watch. I mean, it would have been fun to, to, to see Max uh, get by Lewis and and even get the five seconds or so or more in front of him to try and erase the, uh, the, the five-second time penalty he had, but that was uh, for that uh, unsafe uh, release after the pit stops when he uh, pushed uh, Veltri bought us into the ARMCO barrier. But, anyways, I mean that's one situation I think that if they are to be competitive on a proper purpose-built racetrack compared to say the uh, a temporary road circuit like uh, like Monaco that that is the big big test for them I mean if they can beat to uh, Ferrari and Mercedes uh, straight up on uh, on a racetrack I think that would be uh, the the real test and I think certainly that they've, they've got a good case to make that uh, that they're fighting Ferrari consistently and uh, they, they've actually been better than them and faster than them quite a number of vacations uh, so far this year, whether or not they can close that gap to Mercedes, especially during the middle of the season, and, uh, and be fighting for them, or fighting with them more uh, regularly this year, I don't know. It, to me, seems, uh, what do you want to call it, an ambitious goal on behalf of Red Bull and Honda. But who knows? Maybe they can pull it off. Uh, certainly, I think maybe what uh, what might be a more realistic or a tempered expectation would be not so much to be challenging and fighting for uh, race wins with um, uh, Mercedes each and every weekend. But who knows? Maybe they might be able to steal one here and there. I mean, uh, you go back and look uh, last year at the end of the year, just how good Red Bull and uh, Renault were in, uh, in the thin air in, in Mexico City. I mean, they were just a, a class apart. So who knows? Maybe there might be a similar situation that uh, that favors the Honda engine this year, and uh, I, I think that might be the situation that we see. Uh, going into 2020, when they've already had a year under their belts uh, working together, who knows? I think that uh, at that point, that certainly, once they get more more time working together, and Honda continues to to work on this project, uh, continues to work on their engines, and as they get better, and as they understand the technology better, and as uh, they're able to um, to to build faster, more powerful, more reliable engines who knows it could be a completely different situation in 2020 and it could be that uh, that we see Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari all scrapping it out or maybe Red Bull become the new Mercedes or maybe they become, become the new Ferrari there's so many different things but the point is that uh, that that at this point in time the partnership uh, between Red Bull and uh, and and um, and Honda certainly looks good and uh, we really look forward to to see where it goes from here now this is a, an interesting uh, story that I saw on one comes from motorsport.com and this is a uh, France Toss team uh, principal from uh, Toro Rosso and uh, he says that he, he believes that modern Formula 1 drivers are too fit to make uh, mistakes And um, well, there's another story that's a follow-up to this one. I was uh, Roman Grosjean was saying that uh, compared to uh, Formula, or sorry, to Carding, that uh, he doesn't really feel tired or physically challenged. I'm kind of parsing and paraphrasing here Uh, when when racing in Formula One, and uh, well, when they switched to the new uh, uh, regs last year for 2017 with the the more aggressive, faster cars, uh, Lewis Hamilton said uh, that uh, that uh, that drivers need to face. A bigger physical challenge, and I mean, uh, I, I kind of remember vaguely back uh, growing up in the eighties, uh, a couple of times when you know you get a driver come out of the the, the car absolutely exhausted. I seem to remember something with uh, Nelson Piquet and 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 Nigel Mansell, but you know that's going way back, and I don't remember the specifics. But the thing is, and it's it's not just Formula One, but I think you look at uh, almost any sport now, like the just the science that uh, that goes into it. I mean. Uh, uh, I, I think you can take soccer or football or basketball or hockey or whatever. You can take any sport. I mean, the amount of physical training, nutrition, and just all the different things that that these athletes are putting into um, just their their own fitness nowadays. And and certainly, the bar was set in in Formula One by Michael Schumacher. I mean, he really uh, approached it in a, in a different way. And I mean, I don't think even at the point. Uh, before that, that guys were grossly out of shape. I mean, certainly far from it. But the thing is, Schumacher approached it in a a very clinical, in a very scientific way, and and, and really knew that by uh, becoming supremely fit, and just being Really methodical and precise around his whole diet, nutrition, and his training and everything like that would give him an edge over uh, other guys, and and certainly that was a huge thing. And and, and a lot of uh, drivers have uh, have mirrored that and, and followed that uh, down the years. And uh, I think that's a, a really good point that uh, Tost is uh, making because if uh, the the cars be were to become more physically demanding to drive. It, yeah, sure. It might be a little bit more physically demanding for the drivers, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be getting out of the cockpit uh, completely exhausted and <laughs> crawl their way up the stairs to the podium at the at the end of the race. I mean, I think it would be a good thing to to make it a little bit more f- physically demanding rather than uh, just uh, flying around there for an hour and a half or two hours and uh, with uh, with a less. Uh, physical side to it. I think anything that you can do to make the sports more challenging is a good thing. Because remember, these are supposed to be the 20 of the best racing drivers in the entire world. So whatever situation that you're putting them into, in the cars, in the races, it should be, it shouldn't be easy. Let's just put it that way. Whatever those circumstances may may be that regardless if you finish first or last in a Formula One race, you had to really, really work for it. And I I've I've often had this discussion uh, excuse me with uh, with my, my brother and some friends that well what if they were to go backwards almost and, and and switch from the the semi-automatic uh you know paddle shift on the back of the steering wheels and all the fancy uh controls that they have to do uh you know they, they can change all the settings in the car and uh they have to shift uh, with, with an old-fashioned clutch and a gear shift obviously that's maybe being a little bit uh, too extreme and especially in this day and age the technology is part of formula 1 the technology is part of what makes formula 1 cool i mean when i can drive around <clears throat> excuse me in my in my car with the with the paddle shift on the back of the steering wheel it's fun <laughs> there's there's no other way to say it it's cool it's it's enjoyable and to think that uh, that, that that some of the trickle down technology like that and the abs and the, the the traction control that i have in my car uh, is something that was developed in Formula One is 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 pretty cool, and I mean that's not the only reason that they should have it. Uh, you know the role relevant uh, technology and things like that, but certainly the the technology is there and that's part of Formula One. But wh- where's the trade off? Like, when does the the technology or especially you know that uh, term drivers aids when does it become too much and when does it take too much away from the uh, fr- from the drivers? I mean, you could make the argument that sure. It may not be as physically demanding, but you know, the driver has a lot more to do in the car. And uh, well, when they passed those radio rules a couple of years ago, where the, the, the pits aren't supposed to give them as much advice and, and, and guidance and tutelage over the radio on what they need to do if they have a problem in the car, yeah, sure, let the driver figure that out. So I guess it's it's easier in some respects and more difficult in than in, in others. So perhaps uh, this is a situation where it's uh, maybe more of what kind of perspective are you looking at the the, the conversation from are you looking at more from a, a point of view that well they, they've got too many uh, gizmos and 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 gadgets that make it easier for them or are you looking at it from the the, the point of view that okay well uh, you know the cars are too easy to drive because of the technology and and let's bring it back uh, you know to an earlier era and take a lot of these driver's aids away so I think a lot of it is uh, personal so. Again, uh, it, it really depends whether whether you uh, think that uh, the, the drive raids are a good thing or a bad thing, but whatever happens, technology is here to stay in Formula One. Anyways, time for one final break, and then we're going to start closing down the show for this week. And like I hinted earlier, Gunther Steiner, one of the stars of Formula One, the Drive to Survive series on Netflix, is annoyed. And I'll tell you more after this short break here on the Overtime Podcast Network. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. And as I said, Haas team principal Gunther Steiner says he cannot get more, quote unquote, annoyed about his team's misfortunes so far this year. And despite having what's been a pretty good and and competitive and quick uh, car, often the fourth fastest uh, car on the track, they have been befallen of a lot of... um, unfortunate incidents. And uh, most uh, recently, uh, K-Mag, Kevin Magnuson crashed heavily in uh, Montreal qualifying and then struggled throughout the entire race, finished in 17th. Roman Grosjean dropped back after uh, getting uh, tangled up uh, with uh, Alex Albon's uh, dislodged front wing on the opening lap and uh, ended up uh, 14th. And uh, Steiner was uh, lamenting, and I quote, we cannot catch a break. It was one of those disastrous weekends. It started in Q2 and it didn't finish. The only thing we can do is reach group and try and do better next time around. And isn't it one just one of those cases that, and just to maybe oversimplify it a bit, whether, uh, I guess you could say, we when you're hot, you're hot, and when you're not, you're not. But when it comes to Haas and they look good. They look like they were competitive in Australia, but it seems that uh, they're almost stuck in a time loop. It seems uh, they they had the same problem again with with uh, with with the, with the, with, the uh, with the tires and the pit stop in Australia, and they've just had these little problems here and there all year long, and uh, Steiner is just really frustrated that they just can't kind of break out of it and uh, and move forward from there, and it must be very very frustrating for them. I mean, uh, they're. Currently eighth in the world championship, and you would think that they—they've been in Formula One long enough now. I know they came in as a basically a, a brand new team, and that's not an easy thing in Formula One. But the thing is that even when they came in, and we'll put that whole discussion of being a Ferrari B team to the side for now, but certainly they've—they've they've kind of always kind of shown a hint that they might be able to do something uh, I mean winning races might be a bit of a stretch but uh, they, they always uh, for me they, they always give hints like they might be one of those teams that might be classified as the best of the rest and uh, more often than not it seems that uh, for one reason or another it just uh, doesn't work out for them but uh, Steiner for me just uh, talking about the f1 drive to survive on uh, on Netflix and if you do have Netflix and you haven't watched it seriously stop what you're doing right now it's a 10 episodes I believe believe go and sit down and watch them and believe me if you watch one you're going to watch them all basically straight through and binge watch it that's basically what I did in the, uh, the the weekend that it came out I think I watched all uh, all 10 episodes over the course of about a day and a day and a half every spare moment I had I sat down uh, watching it so it was uh, really really good and and Steiner was one of the uh, the stars of that just I, I liked his uh, his bluntness I liked the way that uh, th- that he came across and and uh, and uh, I I, I- I, I have to say I'm a bit of a fan, maybe not a complete all-out fanboy, but uh, I do have uh, a bit more respect now and admiration for Gunther Steiner than uh, maybe before. All right, talking about uh, McLaren now, and uh, they believe that uh, 2020, so next year, will be uh, when they really prove that uh, their new structure that they've had in place and the the, the new key players that have been uh, brought into the team over the past couple of years, like uh, James Key. As the uh, the technical director and uh, the new team principal uh, Andreas Seidel, they believe that uh, by uh, this time or uh, by 2020, all these key people that they've brought in over the past couple of years will have been able to imprint and uh, really make their impression felt upon the the the, the team, and they really feel that uh, that they're going to be making a big step forward uh, this uh, for, for for next season. And I think that there might be something to that. To be quite honest, this year. This year they might not be up there challenging for race wins, but they are currently fourth in the world championship, just a couple of points ahead of Renault. And uh, I think that's that's exactly where they need to be. Still a lot of racing to go, but I think that uh, Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz have done a pretty good job so far this year. They're scoring points. The car seems to be competitive. It also seems to be reliable. Okay, well maybe not reliable for Lando Norris in in Canada a couple of weeks ago, but slowly slowly but surely, they're, they're, they're making positive forward movement. And compared to where they were a couple of years ago, I think that is extremely encouraging for McLaren because they have been to hell and maybe not quite all the way back, but they certainly are going in the right direction. They have a long way to go before they can become legitimate uh, title contenders in Formula One, race uh, or, or contenders to win races and even to get on the podium. But I think that we are slowly but surely seeing that the 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 changes that they've made, that the 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 people that uh, that Zach Brown has brought into McLaren are starting to make their, their their impression felt and their presence known in the team, and uh, it's it's going to be exciting to watch. Uh, honestly, I'm not a huge McLaren fan. It's uh, I'm. I never really say divulge where my loyalties lie, but certainly I have a, an enormous amount of respect for them. And uh, it's it's been sad to see them struggle over the past several years. Just as much as it's been tough and disappointing to watch uh, Williams struggle the way they were. I mean, when I was growing up, I was always a Williams fan because I I, I fell in love with the way that Nigel Mansell raced, and then after that it was Damon Hill, and then uh, Jacques Villeneuve. Being Canadian, obviously. I I was a big fan of Jacques and the Jacques winning the world championship in the late '90s was was a wonderful, wonderful moment. And then, uh, just uh, it's always been a team that I've had a soft spot for, and uh, and and it's been difficult to watch them and also McLaren struggle. But compared to Williams, at least at this point, McLaren seemed to th- uh, slowly but surely. They're 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 getting the ship turned around, and we're seeing uh, some some positive uh, gains being made. So, would like to see them continue that, but certainly there's going to be a lot of work uh, to to do. And uh, they've well, <laughs> they they I think they'll get it right. I hope they get it right. But honestly, I think it'll be a couple more years at least before all these changes really manifest, and they kind of go through the process a little bit more. And as these, uh, you know, these new key players like Seidel, like Key, uh, they they really get the chance to 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 work together and really come up, I think, with a common vision and and really move the team forward. And anyways, talking about other teams that need to, to move forward, uh, Nico Hulkenberg at Renault uh, believes that uh, that their 2019 quote pretty much uh, or works pretty much everywhere, uh, but the progress that they've made has been uh, hidden by some of the the, the problems and the troubles uh, that they have. I mean, they were fourth last year in the Constructors' uh, Championship. But so far, uh, this year and that, uh, that double DNF that they had at uh, Bahrain a couple of races into the year when, uh, when Hulkenberg uh, and Ricardo basically expired at ex- exactly the same moment towards the end of that race was, uh, I-, I think kind of underlines the problems that they've had in the first half dozen or so races of the year. And, um, I, I still find them a bit of a conundrum. I find them a bit of a hard team to figure out. Uh, honestly, I, I thought that uh, once they came back into Formula One a couple of years ago, once they 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 rescued and bought out Lotus, I thought that a four or five years into it, because uh, I mean they. What, was it their, their fifth year now? I've almost lost uh, lost track. Anyways, I would have thought by this uh, point uh, that they would be a little bit uh, further up. I mean, they've kind of been close to the best of the rest uh, for the past uh, year or two. Uh, but this year, that, that progress seems to have stalled a little bit. And I, I think certainly that is uh, disappointing uh, for, for Daniel Ricardo. But I mean, that was the risk that he took. That really was the risk that he took when he decided, rather unexpectedly, to not re-sign with Red Bull, but uh, go to Renault for uh, for this year and for the for the next couple of years. That it was going to be a gamble, and based on the first seven races of the season, you could make that argument that that gamble has not uh, has not worked out for him. But again, that's that—that's the risk. And you know, to be fair, I mean, half a dozen, seven races really is a pretty small sample. I mean, I, I think we can only really come back towards the end of the year or after the end of this year and really look at it then and say, well, how was uh, the year one of uh, Ricardo's Renault experiment? Was it uh, was it good? Was it bad? Did it start slow but turned around in the summer and he finished on a strong note? Actually, those chapters are still to be written. So we're going to have to leave this book open and and, and just revisit it in the, the months down the road and at the end of the season. But uh, it's been difficult. But it is interesting to, to hear from uh, from Hulkenberg uh, himself that uh, that the car is good. I mean, the engine seems to be good. I mean, uh, M- McLaren seemed to be having some success with it. So uh, in theory, you would expect that the works team is going to have, uh, all the bells and whistles and maybe have some things that a customer team, uh, like McLaren may not. I mean, in, in theory, they're supposed to have identical equipment. I mean, uh, being a customer and, and works team, but you just have to think that, uh, the, the preference and the, uh, and everything's going to be the, the preferential treatment's always going to go to the works team rather than the customer, rather than, uh, you know, the, the other way around what, what the reality is. That's a, that's a good question, but, Uh, I'd like to see Renault do a little bit uh, more. I'd like to see them perform uh, a bit better than they have. And uh, they've been uh, talking uh, about the the, the proposed uh, budget cap for uh, 2021 at $175 million uh, is uh, going to be um, a situation where they're going to have to spend more and uh, this, uh, well, the teams and the FIA have uh, agreed to a 175 million dollar spending cap, but there are certain exclusions like travel and driver salaries that are going to come going to come into force for 2021. And it's it's a level that's a lot higher that uh, some of the smaller teams had ho- uh, had hoped for. And Renault actually said that they have to evaluate whether or not it will have to ramp up its budget to have a chance to to close down on the top three teams. So um, it's interesting because surreal uh, uh, Abitabul has said, uh, "When it comes to the 175 million, it says uh, we are well below. In no shape or form is it a saving opportunity for us. So <laughs> that that's a bit of a surprise that they may actually have to uh, in, invest more money and and spend more money just to sort of uh, be there. And I mean." I don't think you should just go out and spend uh, any kind of money that uh, that you want or feel that you should be obliged to and I've always um, looked at the at, at the at the Force India model that you know the teams that have done uh, more with less and I mean certainly I think that uh, there's room for ingenuity in Formula 1 and I respect that and I think that uh, that's an important kind of thing so I don't think that just because You know, you're supposed to spend more money than you should. But certainly, I was, I I think the revelation, the surprise for me was that Renault admitting. That, uh, that they would have to spend more money because I know that they had their budget uh, increased for this year. And I thought actually they were spending more money than it turns out that they actually are. I'm not exactly sure what the budget is right now, but uh, I, I do specifically recall uh, prepping for a show earlier this year that uh, that uh, they did say that their budget had been increased for 2019. But to see when uh, they're, they're throwing numbers out for this uh, spending cap that they're well below it, that was a, a bit of an eye-opener for me. All right, well, we're starting to get right down to the crunch time here, so um, just uh, talking a little bit now about the uh, the, the 2021 uh, regulations, and uh, McLaren uh, team principal Andreas Seidel says that the FIA must stick to the principles of the 2021 regulations, even if uh, a delay in the publication allows for, uh, times uh, for, for changes. Um, so, there, there are rules that were said uh, are supposed to be ratified by the World Motorsport Council this month, but the FIA and Formula One have asked the teams to approve uh, a delay until October, and uh, so th- that's still coming. Uh, it. For me, like I was saying earlier in the show, I think that uh, basically th- th- there's a lot that needs to, to to be done. On the one side, like we were talking about uh, earlier, there's the sporting part of it uh, where the, the rules I think have to favor favor racing, allow uh, more more latitude for the drivers. Like I said, like I was saying, if the drivers are wearing more, whether or not uh, a move he's going to make is going to result in a penalty. I think that maybe it's gone too far uh, in one direction, but also. Excuse me. I think that the, um, the 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 regulations and how they design the cars and wh- what a Formula One car actually looks like. For 2021 and beyond is uh, equally important. I know we we're all really excited. A year or two ago, a year and a half, whatever it was, when Formula One, when when they had that, uh, uh, I don't know, really we want to call it a launch press conference, whatever. But Ross Braun had uh, basically put out a uh, a concept of what a 2021 Formula One car might look like. It was very sleek, very aggressive looking, and I know it got a lot of us uh, really excited. Uh, that uh, that that's what Formula One will look like. So it's going to be a real balancing act to see how they uh, they pull that off. And uh, well, I hope they kind of go in that direction. But there's so many vested interests and so many politics in Formula One, you re- really never know uh, what, uh, what what you're going to get. Also, another kind of interesting uh, story that uh, that I saw the, this week is that uh, Michael Schumacher's Ferrari F2002 is going to be auctioned off at the end of the year in uh, Abu Dhabi. And that is uh, chassis number 219 that uh, he won three of the 11 Grand Prix in uh, his very dominant 2002 uh, season he, that, that year. it. Uh, He won at uh, the San Marino Grand Prix at Imola, and then he won again in Austria. And for those of you who remember that race, and I remember it very well, that's the one where Rubens Barrichello was ordered to to pull pull over and let uh, Schumacher win that race, literally Meters from the the start finish line on the very last lap, which was uh, very uh, controversial, and uh, it was that was a very very memorable. So, um, the, it's going to be auctioned off uh, by uh, uh, Sotheby's, and their uh, uh, one of the uh, descriptions that they have out there they call it uh, quote truly special. It represents one of the last Rory Byrne designed V ten era cars, and was like a guided missile acquiring wins en route to a championship one with year racing dominance. And also included in that auction is a signed Ferrari F40. And that is a signed and autographed none other than Sebastian Vettel. And I was kind of thinking the Ferrari F40 is one of my favorite uh, Ferraris. And I I thought, what do I need to do (laughs) to have the money to be able to get a lovely toy like that? But uh, obviously, I think that's uh, always going to be a bit of a pipe dream for me. But Dreaming's not necessarily a bad thing. Anyhow, let's just uh, take a quick look at uh, some stats here for the French Grand Prix that will be take uh, place at uh, Paul Ricard this weekend. It is a 53-lap race. The circuit length is just over 5.8 kilometers. It is a race distance of just under 310 kilometers. The lap record was set last year by Valtteri Bottas and the Mercedes. That was a 134.225. And last year, of course, will be remembered of the coming together of uh, Valtteri Bottas and Sebastian Vettel in uh, the opening corners. And uh, of course, that was a, a little bit uh, controversial. So the last three winners for the uh, French Grand Prix was Lewis Hamilton, Felipe Massa, and Kimi Raikkonen. And of course, uh, you have to maybe look at that with a, a bit of a... Uh, uh, an asterisk, if you want to call it that, because last year was the first French Grand Prix that we had since uh, 2008. So Massa, back in 2008, was driving for Ferrari, and uh, Kimi Räikkönen won previously in 2007. Then that was also in a Ferrari, and uh, certainly look forward uh, to it uh, this uh, this week. So last uh, last year, the uh, starting. Uh, grid for the first, uh, we'll go over the first couple of rows. Was uh, Mercedes front row lockout, Lewis Hamilton on pole, Val- Valtteri Bottas in second, lining up on row two with Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen. Row three saw Danny Ricardo and Kimi Raikkonen in the second Ferrari. So not really all that different. And the way that this one shook out at the end, because uh, Sebastian Vettel and uh, Valtteri Bottas had the uh, damage uh, sustained in that uh, opening lap uh, incident, the race was won by Lewis Hamilton followed by Max Verstappen, who finished seven seconds adrift, and Kimi Raikkonen rounded out uh, the podium. Danny Ricciardo finished in fourth, Vettel clawed his way all the way back up uh, to fifth place. Kevin Magnussen was sixth, and Valtteri Bottas finished in seventh position. And then also just a real quick uh, reminder of the World Championship. We'll just run down the first several places as it uh, stands at the moment, and as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it is still Lewis Hamilton on top 162 points Valtteri Bottas in second Sebastian Vettel third with 100 points Max Verstappen in fourth Charles Leclerc in fifth Pierre Gasly in sixth and then we have uh, Carlos Sainz in the first of the uh, the McLarens followed by Danny Ricardo Kevin Magnuson and Sergio Perez rounding out the top 10 Anyways, guys, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so very much for downloading and listening to the show this week. Hope you all enjoyed the French Grand Prix this weekend. We'll try and come back with the show. If not, uh, we'll be back this time next week. Life has just been crazy the past couple of uh, months or so. And it's been difficult to, to, to sit down and just do even a weekly show. Would love to do some stuff on the race weekend. So anyways, we'll leave it open. If I manage to come back and talk Formula One over the weekend, that'll be a bonus. If not, like I say, enjoy the race and we'll talk to you again at any rate very, very soon. Have a great week, guys. I'm out of, out of here. Talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Skidaria F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to scuderiaf1pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com.